Welcome to the radioactive summer break for Labor Day. I'm Laura Jones. Today is a day that evolved out of trade unions and the labor movement, workers' strikes in the late 1800s, protesting unfair and unsafe working conditions. Where do you think we got the 40-hour work week from? Child labor prohibitions, minimum wage, and more. And who among us, after these 18 months of COVID and the great resignation happening among workers, thinks that there are still changes that need to be made about the way we work in this country? Well, tonight on the show, we're mashing up Labor Day with the final edition of Songs of Summer. All summer long, I've asked listeners and guests to be the DJ and share their picks for an epic Songs of Summer playlist, dedicating their songs as we go. And you can check tonight's show notes for a link to that final list, by the way. This hour, I've asked several teachers for their picks, as well as thoughts on being back in the classroom with COVID surging no less. And I'll have a conversation for you with Ayal Press. He's author of a new book, Dirty Work, Essential Jobs and the Hidden Toll of Inequality in America. Let's get started with the American Federation of Teachers of Utah, which traces its roots back to the first chapter in Ogden in 1919. Today, AFT Utah has about 1,500 members in nine local unions across the state, a mix of higher ed, public ed, and public employees. AFT Utah President Brad Acey says they're all on the front lines of the pandemic. They're right in the they're right in the thick of things with uh, trying to keep t- uh, kids safe, trying to make sure that they have a really good learning environment, and uh, trying to carry on as normal as we can in the face of a pandemic. But um, their courage is just absolutely amazing. Uh, with the spikes, uh, the increase now that we have in, in school-age uh, children um, catching COVID, and um, it's pretty stressful right now. So, uh, but the, you know what? They carry on as professionals. That's what's absolutely mm-hmm. inspiring to me is no matter what, they're always professional. They're always doing everything they can to care about kids and to you know, put on a brave face for those students every day. Now, just last month, you sent out a statement saying that the AFT of Utah supported the decision of Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall to issue a mask mandate for K-12 through schools in Salt Lake City. That's just Salt Lake City. So what have you been hearing from either your members or your organizations about what they're wanting to see happen? on behalf of not only themselves, but their their students? Yeah, overwhelmingly, uh, my union members and even uh, employees outside of my union have called, and overwhelmingly, they support uh, the wearing of masks in school and would welcome mask mandates. That's why we uh, supported Mayor Mendenhall so much on hers, and we would support any school and school district uh, that would do so. we were even encouraged at first with uh, Governor Cox when we heard that he met privately with uh, um, legislative leaders and and brought up the idea of a mass mandate, even though they pushed back and said, no, we think we're OK. Uh, we we follow the science and and especially the medical field and would welcome anything that are going to keep kids safe and uh employees safe. Masks are the best way to do that and vaccines. So we would support anything that would do that. Um, Mass mandates, uh, vaccine mandates, you name it, if it's going to keep people safe and it's going to follow the science and and follow the medical experts, we're behind it. We support it 100%. Oh, Brad, here's an opportunity to add a song of summer to our final playlist today on Labor Day. What you got? You know, the, the one that always inspires me as a labor leader is the boss, Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA, because that's what unions are. Union made, US made, USA, and, um, you know, that working class blue collar. I always think of Bruce Springsteen and uh, his background and his roots in uh, middle class America and his backing a union. So that would do it for me. I'm going to get that on for you. If folks want to get in touch, how can folks look up the AFT Utah? Sure. You can Google AFT Utah. We're also on Facebook at AFT Utah and Twitter at AFT Utah is our handle. And that will have our contact information in there. Um, And if they Google it, they'll find our website. 
Happy Labor Day, Brad. Thank you so much and happy Labor Day to you. Dolly Parton on KRCL 90.9, 9 to 5, part of our Labor Day and Songs of Summer mashup on Radioactive this evening. That Dolly Parton classic picked by a teacher at the Open Classroom in the Salt Lake City School District. My name is Amanda Sutton. I teach first and second grade at the Open Classroom. It's a charter school in the Salt Lake City School District. Uh, this is my 12th year teaching. And yeah, I do first and second grade. <clears throat> I get the, the real little ones. So what's it like being back in class? It's really fun. Last year, we didn't get a really good first day of school. We got sort of a, an online one. And then we got a middle of the year first day of school. So it was really, really nice to have everybody excited and back in the first the first couple weeks of school this year. And there's nothing like teaching with excited little people. <laughs> So it's been it's been nice to be back in school. You're in the Salt Lake City School District, and as I recall, with Mayor Mendenhall's uh, mask mandate, how's that working out in class, especially with first and second graders? You know, it's not really an issue with my kids. They they don't care what they're wearing as long as they're entertained. Um, anybody who's seen a kid on the playground with their shoes on the wrong feet or pants two sizes too small, they really don't care <laughs> about comfort. I think the way a lot of a lot of adults do, my kids have their masks on, they pull them up when I remind them to. Um, I haven't had any problems in my class. What are your greatest concerns? Not just about COVID, but you know, it's a lot of question about what the last year has done to to kids and their educational attainment, let alone mental health. Yeah, I think my greatest concern is that all of my benchmarks that my kids are supposed to hit have not been adjusted or changed whatsoever in response to a global pandemic. And I'm not just talking about online instruction or homeschool or in-person, but just the strain and the stress that every family went through. The home support wasn't there for a lot of people like it normally was. And there's not many kids that have made quote unquote average or standard growth over the past couple of years. And I really worry that they're going to be held to the same yardstick that they would have been three years ago. And I wish we could take some of the testing pressure off of not just teachers, but kids and their families. So what do you want folks, parents, students, the general public to know about the job of a teacher here on Labor Day? I'm doing my best. You know, it's really hard to please everyone. Um, And at the end of the day, I try to please the greatest number of people or my students with the greatest needs. But it it is a job that I love deeply. And I think I have the best job in the world, but it is a job. I receive a paycheck for the work that I do. Um, I don't ever want to work for free. So nights and weekends, those are... I don't want to do that (laughs) because I don't get paid on nights and weekends. And I want to still love my job and not get burned out and make it my full 30 years. So I think if we can give everybody some grace, students, teachers, parents, the person at the coffee drive-thru, if we can just realize that we're all trucking along doing our best, we can just cut each other some slack. Teacher Amanda Sutton sharing her thoughts this Labor Day. She's part of the Salt Lake Education Association, the union representing teachers in collective bargaining with the Salt Lake City School District. Celia's president is James Tobler, who says teachers are just as exhausted as the rest of us, but still excited about the new school year. Yeah, I think uh, there was a lot of burnout after last year, um, and we needed that summer summer break. Uh, <laughs> I mean, teachers at the end of last year that were usually kind of like, yeah, Summer break will be nice. Um, you know, I'll get ready for next year during summer. Uh, those teachers were like, I'm exhausted. I need a break. So coming back this year, I think with a little bit of a, a you know, punch in the face, like, whoa, that's over already. Okay, let's get on it. And, um, but, you know, mostly I'm seeing teachers being enthusiastic. Like the start of school is exciting, like meeting students and, and, and feeling kind of the electricity in the classroom it's it's exciting and that's what I'm that's what I'm feeling from teachers they're excited to be back um, I'm definitely there's definitely some anxiety out there with covid 
and the Delta variant. But for the most part, I feel like teachers are pretty excited to be in the classroom in person with their students and um, teaching kids. Are you still in the classroom? I am. I teach at Highland High Social Studies. So we're talking high school students. How are they doing with COVID protocols? Um, you know, shout out to Mayor Mendenhall um, for, for you know, the mask mandate. Uh, we really appreciate that. I think with this Delta variant and especially K through six um, kids who haven't had the opportunity to be vaccinated, but even with uh, teenagers, a lot of teenagers haven't uh, gotten the vaccination. So, so I really appreciate the mask mandate. And in high school, it's going well. Like all my students wear their masks all period. I haven't had any issues. And, and um, you know, I'm telling kids to go to go use the restroom, you know, during class. Don't wait till the break in class when everybody's in the hallway going to the restroom. And so I, I think, you know, people are, you know, there's hand sanitizer in all the classrooms and kids are using it. So I think the, I think it's going pretty smooth. I've heard about the great resignation among healthcare workers. What are your concerns as the head of the Salt Lake Education Association when it comes to that impact in education? Yeah, we definitely had several teachers resign last year. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a thankless job in a lot of ways. Um, teachers put their heart and soul into this profession. Like we, we got it we into education because we're passionate about education. And um, some teachers, uh, you know, Amanda talked about burnout, like some teachers are, uh, they just put their whole heart and soul and, you know, they work, work from home, they work on the weekends, preparing classes. And, and I just kind of tell teachers, look, you got to pace yourself. This is, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. Like, let's, let's be in it for the long haul, you know, and we always kind of say, you know, happy, happy teachers, happy students, like, we got to take care of ourselves and uh, we need to make sure that we're, we're healthy and we're happy and we're, we'll bring that energy and we'll bring that kind of lightheartedness to the classroom. I've long uh, felt that teachers are underpaid and overburdened in their jobs. On this Labor Day, what do you want the public to know uh, that teachers need or deserve in the role they fulfill in our society? That's a... That's a, that's a loaded question. Um, kind of just, you know, we always, we always, um, we go into negotiations every year with the district and we, we do a, you know, a poll with our members, SLEA members of what they'd like to see us push for in negotiations and, and salary increases are definitely at the top of the list every year. I mean, and that's huge. And, you know, our, our, philosophy is if we can attract and retain good people, the best teachers, that's going to be good for students. So, so that's kind of our philosophy. And, and another big thing that's come up quite a bit is paid parental leave. Um, we are charged with uh, watching everybody else's kids. But when, when we, uh, you know, when we have kids of our own, we are um, expected to take unpaid leave, which we often can't afford. And that's really difficult on a lot of, and you know, most, most parents that are having kids or adopting or whatever, they're pretty young. They're pretty new in the profession and, and they're still pretty low on the salary schedule. So that's a really difficult, difficult thing. And Franz is here and that, you know, he had, <laughs> You know, and he, that's been a big issue for him and, 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 you know, dozens of teachers in the district every year. So that's another big thing we, we push for. Um, yeah, I could go on and on. Another issue is that, you know, a lot of, of employees in the Salt Lake City School District are hourly employees because by law, if they work more than 29.5 hours a, a week, they have to get health insurance. So, you know, the dis our district is a lot of school districts in the state have decided let's hire a bunch of hourly employees. And uh, <clears throat> the problem is that those hourly employees uh, are, are living below the poverty line. Well, it's time to play DJ and give you a respite from being a teacher for a second. You can do my job. How about that? What song do you want to add and dedicate for our Labor Day Songs of Summer Bash here? I'm going to go with uh, There's Power in the Union by Billy Bragg uh, on this Labor Day. 
you know, we are a labor union. Sometimes people forget that. Oh, it's a teacher association, but no, we are a union and we believe in grassroots working class power. And, and what I want to give a little shout out to all the workers out there who go to work and make this country a great place. I think uh, that's all the plumbers and the custodians and the hotel workers, people who work in restaurants, farm workers. Uh, that's who makes America great. You got it, Billy Bragg, for you right here. There is power in a union on KRCL 90.9. There's power in a factory, power in the line. My next guest DJ for this Labor Day Songs of Summer mashup show is Lori Shea, Washington Elementary and Beacon Elementary visual arts teacher for grades K through six. Hi, Lori, how you doing? I'm good, how about yourself? Not bad. For folks that can't see the Zoom session here, I can see behind you perhaps something left over from last school season. May is Kindness Month. How's kindness working out as you've returned to school and started working with kids again? Uh, well, kindness always works. It always works out really well. Um, it should be, it's kindness life in my classroom, at least. We're kind all the time. How many years have you been teaching? Uh, this will be my 26th year. Wow, 26th year. As we heard from Amanda earlier in the show, she wants to make it to 30. That seems to be a, a standard career length. I don't know if you're planning your retirement, but as we've mentioned earlier, the pandemic has taken its toll on the morale of teachers. Um, some have resigned, changed jobs. What's your thought about thoughts about the job on this Labor Day? Um, I love my job. And most every teacher I've ever known has loved their job. Um, we're passionate about it. Uh, we think about it most of the time. You know, um, this year is it. It was interesting coming back in. I was excited, and when I was planning with other teachers, we were getting real excited, coming up with plans of what we're going to do. And um, and then um, a little bit of reality set in, like oh. Well, no, we can't really do that. We're still in a pandemic. So there's a little bit of anxiety still um, because um, that's always in the back of your mind. And we're trying to still be very safe with the kids, but still keep it exciting. Yeah, How has COVID changed the implementation of a visual arts program? I would think that you're a little bit more hands-on literally with the kids, maybe getting your hands in the paper mache with them, so to speak. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's different. It's a different kind of job. Last year, I had to reinvent the wheel because um, I was online. I stayed remote most of the year. Um, after we got over the initial shock, though, I thought I did a pretty good job. We had fun. Um, you know, I made adaptations. I was able to Zoom with the kids, see their faces. We talked, we laughed, we created art. Um, and there was a a lot to be learned through drawing. So my kids came in this year as expert drawers and colors. I think it's so crucial to helping kids, especially, you know, little kids as they're coming into education, that there is fun in education. I have a nephew who just started first grade and apparently his teacher has assigned homework every night. And I was like, what homework in first grade? There's no homework in first grade. But apparently uh, there is. So have you found that what you do, um, the kids are hungrier than ever for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I do more than just, you know, have fun and teach. I'm actually teaching them other things because I teach integrated arts and they're having fun while they're doing it. But I just think just the interaction, um, the relationship that I get to build with them because I have them from kindergarten till sixth grade. So I get to watch them grow. And the older ones are just like, oh, Miche, it's so nice to see you in person again. You know, they're like, oh, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. But I've made a lot of adjustments this year. I've had to, um, with COVID, I am not having all of the kids come into my room um, because that's too many exposures. Yeah, how many kids in a given class? Some classes I have are down to about 15, but I still have a few classes that have 32, 28, 32, which is a bit large. Um, and normally they would all come into my classroom in a week. So that's hundreds of students coming into the same room. 
using the same tools. So I've kind of going into some classrooms. Um, the older kids right now are coming into the classroom and we're doing clay three-dimensional work. And when I go into the classroom, we're doing two-dimensional work. And then I'm gonna rotate that through so that, you know, so I'll only have like 75 kids in my classroom through a week at a time. What do you want folks or parents to know or students even about your job as a teacher or on the support that you may need? Well, um, I want parents to I want parents to feel confident that we are doing the very best that we can um, and that we care about their kids an awful lot. And we care about all of them. And, uh, you know, ones that that have uh, special needs or, you know, like we take care of food, we take care of clothing, like we just care about the whole child. And um, and that's the case I for most, most 99.8%, 9% of teachers. You know, I guess sometimes we get um, some bad publicity, which kind of makes a teacher feel kind of down and parents are, you know, saying bad teacher, bad teachers. And, you know, there's very few of those around. All right, time to play DJ. Just for a second, switch jobs with me here. I'll do the clay. <laughs> I'm horrible at it, by the way. Um, and you pick a song. Okay, so I'm going to pick Union Made, and I would like the version from Miss Ann Feeney, who is an American, was an American folk singer and writer and social activist from Pittsburgh. Because I'm from, originally from Pittsburgh is where I spent my first 50 years of life. So I understand there's a Joe Hill connection and therefore Utah. Yeah, yeah. And I think she um, played here because I heard it on KRCO. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Aunt Feeney's in town with Joe Hill. And I didn't know anything about the story of Joe Hill, but she did a whole Joe Hill tribute tour, I believe, around the country. Well, let's get that on for you. Who do you want to send this out to? Oh, let's see. I'm going to send this out to... Um, the entire world. How about that? I like it. Here's Union Made by Anne, the Anne Feeney version, just for you, Lori. Thanks so much for all you do. Thank you. Labor Day songs this summer on KRCL 90.9. There one for the Union Made who never was afraid. KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Looking for a job? Chamber West is holding a job fair from 3 to 6 p.m. Thursday, September 16th at Copper Hills High School. On-site help to update or write your resume and interview coaching available, too. More info at chamberwest.com. Downsizing your car collection or simply tired of looking at that project car sitting in the back of your driveway in pieces? Either way, consider donating it to KRCL. And our friends at Cars, Inc. will take it from there. No hassles, no fees. You get a tax receipt and KRCL gets a donation. But best of all, the music you love never stops. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for more information and how to donate. Thanks, y'all. This is the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for tuning in this evening. We're mashing up our Songs of Summer project and Labor Day. Sharing conversations with Salt Lake teachers, and I've got a couple more coming up this hour. Right now, a conversation I had with Ayal Press, author of Dirty Work, Essential Jobs, and the Hidden Tool of Inequality in America. Excellently timed for Labor Day, Ayal, and really excited to talk to you about this. I, I have so many ideas of where to dig in, but I kind of want to start where you start, which is with a James Baldwin quote, the powerless must all do their own dirty work, the powerful have it done for them. Would you say that's kind of the thesis statement of your book? It is. And as always, Baldwin says it more eloquently than I ever could. Um, but um, yeah, I was really struck by that quote because um, my book is, um, as the title suggests, uh, about um, the work in America that um, occurs in the shadows and that many people see as morally compromised. Um, things like uh, working in um, the jails and prisons of um, the prison system in the United States or working on the kill floors of industrial slaughterhouses. And um, the, uh, 
the theme of the book is that the powerful and the privileged not only don't do this work themselves, they, they don't even see it uh, being done. It is sort of concealed from view and done um, you know, in far off places. And the work ends up getting delegated to people with fewer choices and opportunities, to um, undocumented immigrants in the case of slaughterhouses, to uh, high school graduates from deindustrializing small towns, which is where a lot of jails and prisons are located. Um, and, and the theme is, uh, you know, th th through, through dirty work, I think we can understand and see how inequality plays out in the United States. Let's talk about that. You also, in your introduction, tie this subject. It's, it's more than a recitation of who's doing the dirty jobs and not getting paid well for it. You're really tying this more to the, the moral fabric of our country. Right. And, and I, I guess I should, I should say what I mean by dirty work, because I think some, some listeners might, might be hearing that phrase and thinking, Oh, does he mean garbage collectors? Uh, yeah, like Mike, Mike Rowe and dirty jobs, right? Exactly. People who do sort of, you know, physically befouling jobs. No, that's not what I mean. Um, and I lay it out. I try to lay it out right at the start that dirty work, as I'm using the term, refers to unethical activity that society depends on and tacitly condones, but doesn't want to hear too much about. Um, and again, just to, to think of the examples I just gave, you know, we all kind of know that the meat and poultry in America is produced in this industrial food system that brutally kills animals and that also brutally mistreats its workers. Um, and it's, it's impossible to imagine fast food in America, in, in the, the, the American lifestyle in many ways, without that fa those factory farms and those slaughterhouses. Um, and yet we rarely get a glimpse into them, and we, let alone the workers inside. Or if we think of jails and prisons, right? Um, well, they not only confine 2 million of our fellow citizens in the largest prison system in the world, but they also function as de facto mental health asylums. So again, performing these, what I would say are essential functions, functions that say so much about our, our, who we are and the prevailing social order, but that are really kind of out of sight and out of mind. Another one uh, with Afghanistan on my mind is the last 20 years of targeted drone strikes and the folks that yes. under orders from our government, which is under orders from us, carried out these targeted assassinations. I can only imagine the level of stigma and shame, uh, as you say, P PTSD and mor moral injury to those folks doing those jobs. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I, I think, you know, that's, that's a great example because, um, drone operators, um, you know, the whole idea of killing through a screen, um, killing from a distance and, and killing, uh, individuals in countries with, where we're not formally at war with them and where we can see them, but they can't see us. That that whole concept has carries something disturbing about it. Um, there's something that that you know, if we thought if we if if Vladimir Putin's Russia were doing this, we'd have no hesitation condemning it. Um, many military uh, analysts see this kind of warfare, this kind of asymmetric, you know, no risk for us, all the risk for you, um, as as a violation of the code of honor, that it, that is what you know, in a sense, it, whether you believe it or not, what what a lot of people in the military believe that if you're going to shoot at someone, they 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 should be shooting at you. There is this sort of risk involved. So to to take that away creates this kind of moral, you know, unease. And yet it's exactly what the United States has asked our soldiers to do, because in the aftermath of Iraq and now Afghanistan, um, where we spent trillions of dollars fighting these losing wars, and so many soldiers came home injured with PTSD, sometimes in coffins, we decided, you know what, let's get rid of the risk, but let's continue fighting this unending global war. And so again, it's this, it's this arrangement society has made which which I refer to as dirty work, where we don't consciously say this is something we'd approve of, but we kind of unconsciously mandate that this is the arrangement we're okay with. Talking with Ayal Press, author and journalist based in New York, his new book, Dirty Work, Essential Jobs 
and the hidden toll of inequality in America. And, you know, COVID has really laid laid it bare, these, these dirty jobs, I think, because we've needed folks to do them while the privileged many, not few, have been able to switch to to working from home. Yet when there's failings, like in the slaughterhouses uh, where there was quite a COVID outbreak, the workers are, are blamed. Yeah. Um, and, and I mentioned inequality at the outset. And, and I think that inequality extends in a couple of different ways. It shapes who does the dirty work, um, but it also shapes who gets blamed for it. Um, so if we think, for example, of Abu Ghraib, you know, the, the infamous uh, prison in Iraq where uh, the scandal arose of, of um, torture uh, taking place and, and reservists taking photographs with their victims, really gruesome photographs. Um, there, was, there was a sort of national reckoning, it seemed, uh, when that happened. Um, but what, what actually happened in terms of accountability? Well, a couple of low-ranking reservists, you know, Lindy England, Charles Charles Grainer, um, ended up getting um, held accountable. No senior officials were. No uh, elected officials were. Uh, and and did we really come to terms with or, or reckon with what what torture means? I have my doubts. Not least because the first quarter of my book is set in U.S. prisons and. You know, we practice solitary confinement on a scale other countries don't. Um, to me, solitary confinement for prolonged periods of time constitutes torture. Um, when we think about mentally ill people who are locked behind bars, not getting proper treatment and being exposed to such violence, that too constitutes torture. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the inequality extends not only to the division of labor, but also to the division of blame. So there's the jobs themselves, the occupational hazards, and then the burdens of them falling disproportionately on low-income workers, you say, undocumented immigrants, women, and people of color in our country. Yeah, and, and you mentioned um, a really important thing earlier when you, you talked about what, what happens to these workers. So um, during the pandemic, I think we've we've all gotten a heightened sense of the physical and the health risks of certain jobs, simply because going to work exposed you to a potential virus that, that could get you hospitalized and, and possibly have fatal consequences. Um, and, and as we saw, you know, it's some workers are more exposed to that than others. It's not desk workers who are able to, you know, shelter in place and, and do everything from home. It's, you know, uh, long haul truckers and, 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 and people who deliver the groceries that are arriving at people's doors. Um, but my book is about a different kind of occupational hazard. It's about stigma and shame and guilt and, as you said, moral injury, which, which is a term that has arisen in the military, but I think applies much more broadly. And it just, what it basically means is the, the wound that occurs when people see or do something that goes against their core values, uh, but that in the course of fulfilling their duties, they end up having to you know, feel implicated in um, that. Yeah. I was going to say, um, lest folks think this is a recitation of our sins, uh, let's talk about how we can address this. Because you say in your book, these are policies that were enacted, laws that were put in place, decisions reached about everything from how to fight our wars to where to confine some of our most vulnerable fellow citizens in your intro. And then you say, how we think about this work reveals something fundamental about our society, our values, the social order we unconsciously mandate and that and what we are willing to have done in our name so can we undo this yeah um uh, so i've i've talked about dirty work as as essential but but let me be clear essential to the prevailing social order to the way of life we have come to accept and not question enough um but that doesn't mean we can't alter what that prevail what the social order is. Um, and, and I make a point both in the introduction and really throughout the book of saying, you know, dirty work is not an immutable force, that there probably is dirty work in every society. Uh, there probably is this relationship whereby the privileged and powerful kind of 
are able to delegate it to the less privileged and less powerful in the kind of Baldwin sense we talked about. But, but the contours of it are really up to us. You know, what kind of dirty work we tolerate uh, and condone, how aware of it we are, how, how willing we are to, to let these things be done. And just to give a very simple example, you know, in the 70s and 80s, I, I opened my book by talking about um, the treatment of the mentally ill in the United States. And in the 70s and 80s, there was a very admirable movement to shut down abusive asylums in this country. Um, and I say admirable because, you know, this was a reform movement. And the vision that inspired that movement was this, the, the, these people are human beings and they are our neighbors. They're sometimes our uh, cousins or our brothers and sisters, and we need to care for them through community-based services. Now, as I go on to point out, we never provided those community-based services. No, we just shut down the horror show. Yes, right. We shut down the horror show, but we replaced it with another one, which is um, the asylum of uh, of the jail or the prison that that effectively or the streets, yeah, and or the streets. And so, um, but but that that is a choice that that we have made collectively. And so, I and and I think that when when listeners hear about this, and and I've been noticing this when just giving author talks at bookstores and, and so forth, they they often wanna know, you know, well, what can I do? What can I do? You know, how, you're saying we're all implicated in this. So, so what? Yeah. Our consumer choices, right? Have a, a, a no small part, a significant pressure. You know, we want things cheaper. We want things faster. We want things same day delivery. Yes, no question. So, so the second half of the book is all about how consumer, the things we consume have dirty work behind them, you know, both uh, meat and poultry, uh, but also uh, the gadgets in our pockets, um, you know, where there's a form of dirty work that takes place largely to no small extent in, in, in the Congo, uh, where cobalt is mined. And most of these devices rely on cobalt to power the ion batteries that are there. And there are brutal, brutal conditions, child labor and so forth. I look a bit into the kind of the offshore, off, outsourced dirty work that lies there. Out of sight, out of mind again. Yes. But 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 I would say that um, that consumer awareness is sort of a very American way to think about all this. And you know, oh, but what should I buy so that I feel a little bit less implicated in all this? And and what I suggest at the end of the book is that those individual choices, while certainly admirable and um, they do matter, but they don't in and of themselves change the system. And the only way we can really change dirty work um, and how much of it is, is allowed and performed is through ch changing policies, um, changing you know, laws, changing things collectively. You know, that, that, so, so it involves something more than just what can I do, it's what can we do. Thank you. That was great. This book's fantastic. Uh, congratulations. I don't know if they passed on to you that um, this is going into our Labor Day show. We're also kind of doing a, a Songs of Summer. Uh, do you have a playlist or a song that you'd like to maybe shout out and send out into the ether? Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention too, why not? Um, and, and I appreciate the Labor Day theme um, because I think that, that Labor Day is particularly a time when we should be thinking about the hidden workers that are paying a price for the society we and for the privileges that, that, that many people have. So, um, so I'd say, you know, Pete Seeger's, which side are you on? Um, always something that I think we should listen to uh, when we're thinking about labor and Labor Day. Um, and of course, the other one, I think I have to go with uh, Dirty Work, Steely Dan. Um, even though, even though it is, <laughs> I, I was waiting for somebody to come up with that one, and it's you. It is not. It is not the same thing I'm talking about. But you know, come on, I have to. I have to go for that <laughs> one. So, thank you very much. Right here on KRCL ninety point nine. put the first KRCL bumper sticker on my car. And now I'm sporting KRCL wherever I go. 
I officially am a part of the KRCL family. Hi, I'm Trina Baghumian, KRCL's new Director of Underwriting and Special Events. If you own or manage a local business, I would love to connect you with our listeners. With thousands of sets of ears tuned to our station each week, your message will reach folks who value and support Utah's local business community. Become a KRCL sponsor today. Email me at trinab at krcl.org. Two more teachers to wrap up our Labor Day and Songs of Summer mashup here on Radioactive, the Summer Break Edition. I'm Laura Jones. We've been calling it Summer Break because our community co-hosts and volunteers have the summer off as we try and get our new studios completed. Still working on that. And uh, stay tuned for details about what's happening on that front. Democracy Now! at 7, Red, White, and Blues at 8, Michelle's Night Train at 10.30. You can listen to the last two weeks of any show on demand at our website, krcl.org. It's a resource that exists due to your ongoing support of Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Let's get to the final two voices tonight, both teachers in the Salt Lake City School District. First, Franz Viate, a teacher at Innovations Early High School. Yeah, so actually this is my 10th year teaching, although we don't know if 2020 counts, but I still count it, definitely. I know my, hopefully my retirement counted. And um, uh, so I've been teaching for about 20, uh, 10 years and um I've been teaching high school the whole time. So right now I'm teaching U.S. history and U.S. government with mainly juniors and seniors. How's that going this school year, being back in class in person? It's good. Well, teaching U.S. government is going to be very interesting this year because we have a lot to talk about. In the past years, the focus has always been on federal government. Local government didn't really get that much attention. But this year and last year, a lot of students are very interested in local government because we realize local government, they've been the ones making decisions whether we're going to stay in school or not. Franz, I haven't asked this of other folks, but you kind of brought it up with what you teach and the age groups that you're working with. There's this whole critical race theory conversation and monitoring teachers for what they say. We've already seen one teacher go viral with uh, things she said in class being videotaped and shared out. Um, Do you feel an added pressure that's different this year? My rule of thumb is I just teach the facts and the rest is open to interpretation. So anything I say could be backed up with what happened in in history or what's going on right now. Any any, uh, parents um, that you've been communicating? I mean, I I doubt you've had parent-teacher yet, but any concerns expressed to you from parents in that regard to vaccines or politics or critical race theory? Yeah, surprisingly, no, I haven't heard anything from parents. It's more um, politicians who haven't been in the classroom in a very long time. And then the media stirring, stirring media. stuff up for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. Exactly. So yeah. what's what's been different? I mean, you said this last year and James earlier referenced something about parental leave. Maybe you have a story there to share. Yeah, well, I'm a teacher and my wife is also a teacher. And so when we had to teach remotely last year, it was a challenge because we were both at home teaching. And we both have a two-year-old daughter. So we had oh, to, wow. yeah, so we had to watch her and, and you know, switch off, like uh, try to uh, accommodate for her nap times, her feeding times, all while teaching at the same time. So it was, it was a big challenge. You're essential workers in two realms. Yes, <laughs> yes. The classroom and the, ho- and the home. Wow, that's yeah, a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. But one thing I learned um, when my wife was pregnant was that we understood that she was going to be able to take off 12 weeks unpaid though because of FMLA and I was going to be able to take off 12 weeks but it turns out that because we both work for the same employer then we have to share those 12 weeks and that's a federal what that's a federal law yeah the federal law says that if if the the parents work for the same employer they have to share their 12 weeks they can't each take their 12 weeks so I had it. All right. That seems so wrong. Where's the <laughs> petition? Yes, exactly. Well, the, what the federal government says is that, well, the employer themselves could add to that and change their policy. But, um, uh, you know, our employer just pointed at the federal law and said, sorry, there's nothing else we can do. Yeah. So that was really hard. And I didn't know. Not that many people know. Sure. And hopefully listeners don't know. That is a very weird quirk. Now our listeners know. And uh, maybe James... He are, well, he directed me to that story, so I'm guessing he's working on that at the Salt Lake Teachers Education Association. We're trying to see what we can do, yeah, because we think, you know, we all deserve uh, uh, parental leave, you know. And uh, like James was saying, we spend so much time taking care of other people's kids that we wish we'd have some time to take care of our own. What else do you want the public to know about 
the job of a teacher and the unique pressures going on in our current times? Teaching is interesting because since mostly everyone has gone through school, they all think they know what it's like, but it's not the same when you come back as a teacher, you know, uh, there's a lot of work that that's done on the back end of things, you know, a lot of grading and writing emails, messages to parents, all the things that happen outside of the eight hour workday. And so I just want everyone to know that we're trying our best, you know, we're trying our best, but we are really constrained with uh, how much things we have to teach and the little time we have to cover all the standards and we only have eight hours a day to do it we really don't have other uh, time planned in our day so it's very hard wait is that your two-year-old in the back yeah actually she's right here and I'm watching her right now because my wife stayed after school working with some students so well thank you for giving us some time to oh. make this this broadcast happen of course she sounds pretty pretty darn cute um, oh, thank you <laughs> I, because of what you teach I have one more question before we get to your pick for our Labor Day songs of summer mashup and that is given what you've seen in the news and these political conversations about what teachers can or can't can't do is there one foundational text or document or moment in history you'd like the public to go back and look at i'd say i, I wish we all knew the constitution a little bit better <laughs> because uh, the constitution is a working document it's alive it's open to interpretation but um <laughs> especially looking at what happened in Texas. I'm not sure if they're reading the Constitution over there. But um, I wish that we all took a look at the Constitution again. And, you know, it's not that long either. So I wish we could revisit the Constitution. All right. I think that's the least we yeah. can ask of folks today. So, Franz, what's your song of summer you wanted to share on this Labor Day mashup? I'd like to share a, a song called Our Generation by Ernie Hines. And I'd like to dedicate that song to all of my students because they are the next generation that hopefully could fix this mess that we're in. Ernie Hines, thank you so much. We'll get your song of summer on right now here on KRCL 90.9. Thanks for, thanks for chatting. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Our final teacher this evening is Patrick Gardner. Hey, Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well on this Labor Day. Tell us about being a teacher, a science teacher at Horizonte, and also share with our listeners who may be unfamiliar with Horizonte what kind of uh, a school it is. Yeah, so Horizonte um, is a kind of an interesting school. Um, it's considered an alternative school, which means that students who may not be successful at some of the traditional high schools, so that'd be like West High, East High, or Highland High, um, are able to come there, and we provide uh, alternative ways of instructing and a lot more one-on-one -on -one, um, supports and things like that. Um, so teaching science is fun there. A lot of my students come to me with mixed feelings about science. And by the end of it, I hope they can realize that science is a lot of fun and uh, are able to ask more questions about the world. Nationwide, there's a big movement with the next generation science standards and stuff to really push away from probably when you were in high school or when I was in high school, where it was a lot of information that you had to kind of just remember for a test. And we're kind of scaling back on that and really looking at the big concepts and really applying that and having kids investigate in a scientific way over long periods of time, rather than just learning all that content. So hopefully we try to do that, get them excited for science. That be a scientist now by applying the scientific method to your learning. Yeah, and it's really that idea that we're all born investigators and um, sometimes we unlearn that or I don't know, we teach them to not become natural investigators in school. So just keeping that alive and realizing, yeah, we're all scientists and we're all asking questions about how things work. And then that's just a way of figuring out how that happens and works. Oh, man. I I would love to be in your, your class now because I remember kind of having the curiosity beaten out of me in school because I got to pass this test and I got to get these bubbles filled in and I've got to get this rating or I'm screwed for life. And that's fear. So tell me about being a teacher today and what kids are responding to. Yeah, I think anytime, I mean, all of our students bring so many amazing experiences. We're lucky to work in such a diverse community here in Salt Lake. And so all of their experiences bring to that. And the more we can connect with those experiences, find out about our students um, and make things more relevant to them, that's going to get them excited about learning. Tell me about why you decided to be a teacher, Patrick. Oh, <laughs> I, 
I don't know. Yeah, I never planned even to be a science. I was going to be a history major, like Jane said earlier. And um, I took a geology class and loved it. But um, sometimes the geology community, it's kind of like an old boys club at times. And I just found I worked in a lab for a few years after college. And I was like, I want to be with people. I'm a people person. I love being around the people. So teaching seemed like a good fit. And I've really enjoyed it. So how has COVID changed the way you conduct your class and are things better this year? Um, oh, definitely better than last year. Um, it's just great to be with the students, um, get to see them every day and build those relationships. So it was just so hard over Zoom every day and those kind of things. Um, teaching's definitely changed. I think as teachers, we all learned so much last year. We all were like, went in there, um, baptism by fire. We learned so many new things, how to, uh, manage classes online. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm a Zoom expert now <laughs> and all these things. So utilizing some of those things, but also realizing that some of the old school ways are some of the best as well. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to use utilize those this year. Being in person, going old school. So what is it you want the people to know? What do you want them to know about the job of a teacher here on Labor Day? Yeah, it. I want them to know it's a really hard job. <laughs> But we love it and it's something we do our best in. And um, we often balancing too many plates and sometimes they do fall. So um, I just want people to know that we really, we love our students, we love our subjects. Um, and sometimes we need a little bit of grace. <laughs> Let's go for some grace in the song you got. Are we, are we just gonna go for some fun? What do you want? Yeah, um, so we're gonna go with Donna Summer. She works hard for her money. Why that song and who are you sending it out to? Oh, I just love that song. I'm a big dancer. So, you know, anything that gets me on the dance floor. Um, and I'm gonna give a shout out to my students who at the beginning of the pandemic, so, so many of them got 40 hours of job work, um, working essential jobs at Walmart, um, McDonald's and allowing us to stay home. Um, and stay safe while they put themselves at risk. And then coming home and doing their schoolwork at midnight, two in the morning, I would often see their assignments submitted at that time. So, Well, this is closing out our Songs of Summer Labor Day Bash, Patrick. Thank you. And thanks to all the teachers that were on with us tonight. But in the Beehive State, we're really grateful for the essential job that you all do in our community. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you.